0: the size of the fight in the North. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast. This is the college football bowl betting preview part four. I'm stuck with me, as always, as Colin Wilson. You ready to get to some makeshift bowls (laughs) and uh, the college football playoff? But this is also the podcast where I get to
1: go nuts and talk about the Arkansas Razorbacks. We cut this podcast and I'm hours away from a flight to Tampa. Uh, I will be as loud and crazy as possible since we have not been to a bowl game in forever. We got canceled last year. Let's just get right into it. I I couldn't be more excited. We are in the meat of the sandwich of the college football bowl season.
0: Well, maybe uh, Arkansas can get the SEC its first win and cover of the bowl season. The SEC is now 0 and 4. The American Athletic by the way, 6 and 0. And 2 and 0 against the SEC. Yes, I'm including three forfeited games makes the narrative a little better. Can Cincinnati keep it going against Alabama? Well, we'll talk about that game in a little bit. But let's uh jump right in. All right, we have 10 bowls to get to. That includes bowl games on Friday. December 31st, New Year's Eve, Saturday, New Year's Day. And then we have one bowl game next week on Tuesday. So let's go in chronological order. Let's start with the Gator Bowl between five and seven, Rutgers. Yes, Rutgers is in a bowl. And number 17, Wake Forest. Wake Forest, the 15, 15 and a half point favorite here, over under 62. This game's at 11 a.m. Eastern on ESPN in Jacksonville, Florida. This is the uh, appetizer to the college football playoff involving Rutgers, um, who, of course, is replacing Texas A&M. I will tell you that it's a very difficult handicap for a couple of reasons. One, its motivation is de- it could be a key here. Like, is Wake Forest going to be disappointed? To, you know, they're playing Rutgers. Um, and then Rutgers, you know, not, they don't have much prep. They just found out about this game. But they probably are really excited to be going to a bowl at five and seven. It's important for the program. And they're playing, you know, a nationally ranked team on national TV on New Year's Eve. But then again, Chiano, based on his comments, I don't know who's playing. So on Monday, he declined to provide information on the team's testing for COVID-19. He also refused to say if any of his players who signed with an agent would play um, or if any of them got an exemption from the NCAA. He also wouldn't say whether Star Punter, it's one of the best players on Rutgers' team, It tells you a little bit about them, Adam Korsak, if he'd be able to make it back from Australia in time for the game. He said, I'd rather just show up Friday with our team and let it rip. Can we do that? So we're not finding out any information on Rutgers. That includes their leading rusher and uh, their leading receiver. We have no status updates on in Pacheco and Melton. When, when you look at Rutgers, look, they were 5-1 and one against non-bowl teams. They were 0-6 against bowl teams with a scoring margin of 223-58. to 58. That's an average of about 37-10. to 10. They scored 13, 13, 13, 3, 0, and 16 against those bowl teams. That 16 came against Maryland's poverty defense. The offense is just dreadful. I mean, their starting quarterback had seven touchdowns and six interceptions on the year. And as I mentioned, they could be without their leading rusher, who only averaged 3.9 yards per carry and receiver. The special teams are really good, but they might not have their punter. The defense is really good against the run. Their defensive line is, is really strong. They're 7th in line yards, 8th in stuff rate, but that doesn't matter. It really matter against Wake Forest who wants to throw, and they're a really bad passing defense. Um, that is the weakness of this defense. They're 97th pass efficiency, 79th in sack rate, which means you know, Hartman has really shredded any defense this year where they're not getting endless pressure on him. Uh, so I, you know Cornerback Trey Avery for Rutgers, he's ranked 501st out of 500 second corners and safeties in coverage grade. That's uh, pretty bad. You're down there with like all the UMass corners. Um, you know, their safety IZN is brutal I and mean, they basically have one good corner in Abraham and one good safety neighbor young, who's good against the run, but struggles in coverage. That's not, it's not a great matchup for Rutgers here. It is worth noting that Wake Far's second leading receiver Roberson did opt out. Um, so I don't know. I think that this line is probably around fair. It's a really tough handicap for me. Maybe I'd, I'd look under. It just yeah. But the Wake Forest defense is nothing to write home about. The motivation, who's playing for Rutgers, tough handicap. What do you got here?
1: Yeah, there's only really one handicap you can go off because when you listen to Shiano's comments, you have to take all of the advanced stats for Rutgers with a grain of salt, especially the good ones if you don't have your players, especially your punter just showing up and letting it rip. I mean, I don't know how you're not (laughs) assuming that every fourth down is going to be, you know, an attempt at trying to get a first down instead of a punt, but it's just a bad matchup for Rutgers. 116th in coverage grading. Now they get a Wake Forest squad that's top 30 in passing success rate, explosiveness. Rutgers defense, 130th, dead last in defensive pass expected points. Uh, They couldn't have handpicked a better team for Wake Forest to go up against for what it is they want to do on
0: offense. And there just isn't much to say. Rutgers, Rutgers played Michigan tough. Mm -hmm. Like they lost by seven. And they you know, they got blown out by Maryland. Those two games tell you everything you need to know about Rutgers, right? Because Michigan heavy running team, Rutgers is very good against the run. Maryland, all that they can't run, all they do is pass, and they got blown out. And that's similar to here. And and Rutgers didn't score on either defense.
1: Yeah, and I think it's really important when we talk about these two makeshift bowls uh, coming up here is how much preparation game plan did you put in and practices you put in and how much of that is applicable to the team you're about to play. So the Rutgers offense, they have a 57 percent rush rate, uh, which is exactly where Texas A&M was. And I would say that I mean, Wake Forest isn't great on defense whatsoever, but they were already preparing for the rush with Zach Calzada being out for Texas A&M. So I think there is a little bit of an advantage for wake on the defensive side uh, because they were already preparing for a heavy rush that ran in 11 for me, 11 personnel and ran, uh, you know, a little bit, you know, sort of pro style schemes with running. Now, if there's one thing we learned from a COVID plague, 2020, when you plan these games on the fly and you only give teams a couple days of real preparation, it hurt the defense. I, I don't think we could even get away with a single under last year. It was unbelievable with some of these makeshift games. So Uh, when you put these together uh, and you put the Wake Forest offense in the middle of that, since I have no clue what Rutgers is going to be putting on the field, uh, I tend tend to want to go to the over, but I can't depend on Rutgers like you said. So for me, there are a few books out there that have an over 37 team total on Wake. This is the best defense Wake could have gotten uh, as far as, you know, from a passing explosiveness perspective. And Wake's fifth in offensive finishing drives I expect them to score on every single possession, whether that's seven possessions or 14 possessions. I don't know, but team total uh, over 37s are out there. And that's what I hit this morning.
0: As I mentioned, Rutgers allowed an average of 37 points to the six bowl teams that played. And, you know, that's including some of these big 10 teams who aren't, you know, when they play Michigan, Michigan wants to run the ball. It's just a really bad matchup for Rutgers. All right, let's move on to the second bowl game. And it's uh, on Friday on New Year's Eve. This is our our other appetizer and it's a little more appetizing than the first game that's the sun bowl between central michigan and washington state central michigan finished eight and four washington state finished seven and five washington state seven seven and a half point favorite here over under 57 and a half this game's at noon eastern on cbs in el paso texas um couple notes here Jake Dickert, the coach, I mean, Washington State really responded after all the turmoil in the the season. He was the interim coach. He's been promoted to head coach. He's made a number of staff changes as Washington will transition from the run and shoot, which they were under their previous coach who came from Hawaii, Rolovich. And they're going to go back to a more traditional air raid, but they're keeping the previous staff intact for this game. And Max Borgie, their leading rusher, he declared for the NFL draft – and Abraham Lucas, their star left tackle, he's out as well, as is cornerback Jalen Watson. Washington State really look, they're they think of like a you can kind of think of a leech. It's a run and shoot, it's not an air raid, but like a leech offense. They aren't fast, but they pass a lot. And they are efficient, but not explosive. Jaden Delar had a really good year. Washington State's defense. Better in the secondary than they are against the run. They're 123rd in rush defense success rate. Very poor defensive line. They're outside the top 100 in line yards. Opportunity rate, sack rate. Central Michigan, on the other hand, their metrics suggest a very bad secondary. And their you know their offense, very their defense line is very good. A lot of tackles for loss, sacks. Better against the run than the pass, which isn't great on paper against Washington State. But Central Michigan... Much improved team. At the end of the year, they won six of seven to close out the year. <clears throat> that includes four straight with a schedule that had their final six games were all against bowl teams. Their only loss came against Northern Illinois by one point in a game where they led by 18 and then fumbled a uh, a field goal snap to win the game. I mean, just your Northern Illinois voodoo. But very balanced offense. You got Nichols at running back who ran for over 1,700 yards. Richardson at quarterback who took over after the first month 23 touchdowns five interceptions they have great weapons with Pimpleton Sullivan Dixon Wilson at tight end two really good tackles interior offensive line isn't as strong um and you know they got some havoc creators on defense and Troy Brown and and Troy Harrison up front I like Central Michigan here Uh, look I really like their offense I really thought they came on at the end of the year and I think that their their primary weakness here which is their secondary which is what you would worry about against Washington State really started to come together at the end of the year they had some young pieces at corner with Hill and Kent. They started to play a lot better. They grew into their roles. McCoy's been great in the slot all year. Their safeties and linebackers struggle in coverage. So they have this kid, George Douglas, who plays like every down. He might be the worst defender in college football. I, he's really, really, really bad. But they just overall, their pass defense, and they played some bowl teams that can throw it around. They could throw the rock around the field. I mean, they played you know Western Michigan. They played Toledo. They played Eastern Michigan. Uh, They played nothing but bowl teams to close the year. Washington State, much tougher strength of schedule, but they only went two and four against bowl teams. Uh, I think the seven and a half is too many here for a really well-balanced Central Michigan team. I think the key is the secondary, well-coached team, is the secondary got a lot better towards the end of the year. So I took the seven and a half in a game that I don't think should be over five. Weird with like, uh, you know, it's a unique offense that Washington State runs. So maybe the the lack of prep time and just a surprise matchup. Uh, Because if I didn't mention it, Washington State and Central Michigan, they had their games canceled and they came together to meet in El Paso. Um, So I took the seven and a half here. How about you? What do you say?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a game just raw numbers. Projections on paper is a game that uh, I would make uh, Washington State. Minus eight and a half, but a couple other power ratings that I trust are, uh, you know, I've seen them at eight. I've seen I've seen six and a half. I've seen as low as six uh, from uh, another person that I trust with their power number. So really, the number is right in between where all of us would project it from a raw standpoint. But like we said, with the last bowl game, I think for this bowl game. You're going to have to focus on how much prep did you do for your previous opponent and do, is it applicable? And I think you touched on the right points there talking about Washington State's offense. So, and, and also the total, I projected right at 57 and a half. So it's right in line with the market. And you already mentioned it, the run and shoot, what Washington state does Washington state, 10 personnel on 95% of plays that's zero tight ends, one running back spread out the wide receivers. I central Michigan just has a couple of days to get ready for this huge scheme change. And travel from Tucson over to El Paso after traveling down to Tucson in the first place. So, you know, we've mentioned before that this Washington State roster, they have been through a lot in the last three years. There have been things off the field that this roster has had to go through besides playing for their third head coach in, in what, two years? So, you know, they have the least amount of travel. They have the least amount of changes as far as preparation goes. So while I lean Wazoo, there are numbers on the Central Michigan side that they put up in Mac play. They're eighth in the nation in defensive havoc. They're top 25 against the explosive pass, which is really Wazoo's more of a dink and dunk. But with the scheme changes, to me, this is a Washington State first half bet. And it's because Central Michigan did not prepare for a run and shoot, 10 formation, no tight ends. They were preparing for something completely different. And I think it's going to take adjustments from Jim McElwain, which is a, he's a great head coach and he can make those adjustments. But I think the first quarter, first half as all belongs all to Washington state.
0: Yeah. I think that, but like, when I look at this from a match perspective, I think central Michigan with Lou Nichols is going to be able to run the ball down Washington state's throw. I mean, their run defensive metrics are horrific and, you know, and central Michigan extremely balanced a really good, at, you know, running the ball, throwing the ball. And you know they run it probably I would assume I don't even have my numbers in front of me, right around uh league a- national average on standard downs. Yeah. And now your Oregon State, Washington State is now missing its top corner and it's missing its leading rusher on the other side of the ball, and it's missing its star left tackle, it's highest graded player on offense in Abraham Lucas, who you know was gonna be really important in this game. I know Washington State gets rid of the ball quick, but Central Michigan, what they do, tackles for loss, they get after the quarterback. They can, so I think that they'll be able to create some havoc, some negative plays here, and they'll be able to move the ball more consistently on the ground. Uh, so I like this uh, the dog here that should be able to move the chains and then also hit some explosives with Washington State's top corner being out. All right, those are the appetizers. They had a little a little sun bowl, a, uh, a little gator bowl, and get some uh, some fried some fried gators. Some fried gator nuggets and uh, you know sit out in the sun for a half hour with a drink if you're in a warm climate and then get ready for the college football playoff because at 3:30 Eastern it's all gonna start. You have any, any plans for New Year's Eve by the way? Yeah, we're going to
1: end up watching, we're going to stay, we're staying in uh, Clearwater at a resort, and we're going to end up staying in uh, and watching this uh, Georgia-Michigan game.
0: Hotel, Airbnb? Yeah,
1: no, no, we're staying in, a a flashing the Diamond membership at the Hilton Resort, and uh, so we'll be, uh, the family will be there, but I'm sure after we're off the beach, the Cincinnati-Alabama game will be for me at a tiki bar while my teenagers are posing for Instagram out on the beach. Uh, but by the time seven thirty rolls around, uh, it will be an all hands uh, meeting for the family back in front of the TV because the Georgia Michigan game, to me, is probably the team. Georgia may come in as a one point favor, but Michigan would definitely be an underdog. That's the game you want to keep your eyes on to handicap the national championship. I think this we'll get into it, but I think the Cincinnati Alabama game is extremely basic. I think it's a basic handicap, and I think it's a basic, a pretty basic game plan for Alabama.
0: Well, let's start there with the Cotton Bowl Classic. Alabama, number one in the nation Taking on Cincinnati Cincinnati is a yeah, It's like consensus 13 and a half point underdog Cincinnati of course finished 13 and 0 Over under 57 and a half This game's at 3.30 Eastern on ESPN In AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas A couple things of note here It's the college 12 playoff So there's not like who's sitting out and who's not the I think the biggest biggest thing to note is that John Mechie will be out for Alabama. He was their, you know, more of their possession receiver. He had close just under hundred catches on the year. He's hurt and he'll be out. Other than that, it's uh pretty straightforward, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just looking at the matchup. So when well, I'll let you I'll let you dive into this first and then I'll kind of bounce off you.
1: Yeah, let's I mean, to me, I said this when 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 these lines first came out, the fact that John Mechie, the third is out is not just big because he has the most receptions and the most targets. It's because he serves as a blocker for the rest of the right wide receivers. And that is a extremely key player to be losing when you take on this Cincinnati secondary. So.
0: Let's start it's here. also huge in like just chain moving. Like third down, go go get open, find a hole in the defense.
1: Yeah, locker room, everything. I mean, the reason why, like I said on a previous podcast, the reason Devonte Smith won the Heisman was because John Mechie was twenty yards downfield throwing blocks for him. So, uh, but you know what? Congrats to the Group of Five for making the national semifinal. Uh, Congrats on having a point spread Cincinnati. Uh, You should pat yourselves on the back. You have a point spread that's lower than when Michigan state and Washington both made the playoffs. So at least you're getting way more respect in the betting market uh, than what some previous power five teams have got. So uh, that might be the only victory that Cincinnati gets out of this game. The good on good is actually is Alabama offense versus Cincinnati defense. And Bryce, Bryce Young won the Heisman trophy thanks in part to being the highest graded quarterback per PFF. Now, It's not because he's a deep bomb thrower like Mac Jones that just sat in a crowded pocket and hit everybody 30 yards downfield. He took what the defense gave him. He finished with 42 TDs to four INTs, almost never makes a mistake. Uh, He was only intercepted twice and 184 dropbacks with pressure this season. That's impressive. Um, You know, the question is, is who's going to replace John Mechie? Bill O'Brien, COVID free now, took the podium yesterday. That'd be Tuesday. Um, and talked about who will be the receivers to replace John Mechie. And I think a lot of people were kind of expecting uh, a- A.G. Hall to be the guy that bust out, you know, on the national scene, on the national stage. But the first two names that came out of Bill O'Brien's mouth was Ja'Cory Brooks and JoJo Earl. Earl. Um, so I would look for those two guys to be the ones that get the secondary reads from Bryce Young and get the action. Uh, Hall was just mentioned as a guy that's improved, uh, according to Bill O'Brien. So whether – You know, and and if anything we've learned from Breckman Murphy is don't trust anything one coach says, but if they're holding Hall back, uh, then they're talking that, you know, they're purposely doing it at the podium. So I think there's a lot of questions when it comes to the targets without John Mechie. And, you know, frankly, the explosive plays that depended on his blocks are not going to be there against Sauce Gardner, against Kobe Bryant, against Brian Cook, who is like the highest graded safety in all of college football. So, you know, it's a pretty simple game plan. Brian Robinson Jr. came to the podium and said, Last time we went to the state of Texas, we got embarrassed. Our team was embarrassed against Texas A&M. We haven't hurt that bad in years. Uh, I I am motivated. The whole team is motivated every day to return to the state of Texas and get redemption. He's a fifth-year senior running back. Back half of the season, he was pretty hobbled with injury. He's completely healthy now. Uh, He comes into this game, and, you know, it makes sense for Saban to hold all questions about the wide receiver group back until the national championship game. It makes sense for him to avoid Gardner, Bryant, and Brian Cook. And Bryce Young has been so good at hitting defenses where they're weakest. In this case, it's a defensive line that all weighs under 300 pounds. The Cincinnati defensive line is not going to be able to get a push. They're not going to be able to fill the gaps. Against Georgia, Seth McLaughlin took over at center for Alabama. Chris Owens played the game of his life at right tackle. Uh, and more importantly, I think if you go deeper into that box score, Cameron Latou lined up 22 times as a blocker. Kendall Randolph lined up 10 times as a blocker. Those both are tight ends. So there was some 12 that was thrown in so that they could get further down the field in running plays. And Alabama only ran 12 and 20% of plays this season. And when they run 12, it's absolutely a rushing play. Bill O'Brien was the master of 12 as the Houston Texans head coach. So when Brian Robinson Jr. was healthy, the fifth-year senior running back, Alabama ran him 36 times against Ole Miss for four touchdowns. Uh, The tide ate up 38 minutes of clock. They won 42 to 21 Cincinnati's offense. They're not old Miss, but this is the game plan on offense. Uh, you've seen the total move down from 58 down to 57. I think a part of that is the fact that Alabama is not going to have explosive passes. They're not going to try. Uh, they're going to keep their wide receiver group kind of quiet for this game. Uh, I, it feels Notre Dame-ish from last year. So the other question is the Cincinnati offense. They have flashed a huge increase of formations as the season has gone along. In Cincinnati's opener, they ran just four different third uh, third down formations uh, against Miami of Ohio. A couple of weeks ago against East Carolina, they ran 10 different formations. Uh, against Indiana, they ran eight different formations. So they have been able to adapt to the defense that's in front of them. Now, I don't know what they're going to do against this Alabama defense. I don't know where the weak spot is. Uh, this is, uh, you know, they, they've been shutting rushing attacks down, 11th and uh, defensive havoc. Uh, you know, I mean, nobody can run on them. Nobody's been able to pass on them. Uh, Cincinnati's 10th in standard down success rate, but they're 83rd in passing down success rate, which means if you get Desmond Ritter and Jerome Ford into passing downs, like if you're at second and 10, you're already in a passing down. That's where their success rate completely flies off the table. They are based on staying in standard downs and doing that against Alabama is going to be rough. Um, You know, that I just don't see a situation where Jerome Ford is moving the pile and getting space against this Alabama front with a stuff right rank of 10th. Uh, I mean, Alabama has 106 tackles for loss this season. I think that's fourth in the nation. They're in everybody's backfield. Will Anderson, not even mentioned for the Heisman Trophy, is probably going to go nuts here. So what do you do? You probably move the pocket around. You move Desmond Ritter around. You try to pick your spots. And, you know, play-action passing has been a big part of Desmond Ritter's game. Eight big-time throws, one turnover-worthy play. But you're going up against Christian Harris, one of the highest-graded linebackers in man-to-man coverage. Jalen Amur Davis and Jordan Battle ranked top 15 of all individual coverage defenders in zone. I don't think play action is going to work here. I don't think Desmond Ritter is going to work. I don't think Jerome Ford has the speed. Uh, I mean, this is just a game where saving gets a three score lead and you can bet it's Brian Robinson from here on out. And then we go back to the drawing board and Alabama is going to morph right back into some sort of dynamic passing attack for the national championship. So for me under, but I make it at 58. So I would, I would probably take the 57, stop there. Uh, I, I'm not really so sure about taking a first half under. Alabama may do what they can and go up-tempo or slow the tempo down to get those three-score lead and then sit on the ball. I believe sitting on the ball is the game plan for the second half with the lead. I just don't know what the pace is going to be in the first half. So for me, full game under, This is a game where the score is stuck. I don't know if you agree, but I think the game is sitting around 19 to 21 point Alabama lead. And that back door is way open with four and a half minutes left for Cincinnati to try to get in. That's why I'm hesitant to touch this point spread At 14. You're going to get a ton of Cincinnati money at 13. You're going to get Alabama money. And so I'd rather play live and hit Alabama single digits. If there's something crazy with a turnover or special teams or anything, that's the game plan for the side.
0: I couldn't, Disagree more. Um, I think Cincinnati's live, live in this game. I think everyone is drunk on Alabama because of what they did to Georgia in one game. And they're just have flashbacks of this is Alabama, what we saw last year and what people are failing. To, it's the, the same thing's happened with Georgia. We'll talk about Every, everyone now is just Georgia's vulnerable. Who cares about the whole body of work? We'll just go based on this one game we just saw well, let's just talk about this Alabama team all year. One of the most inconsistent teams in, in the country. All right, let's blow out Miami, a Miami team that ended up being bad. Uh, and then we almost lost to Emory Jones, yeah, the, the same Emory Jones who can't beat central Florida in a bowl game. You should have lost Emory Jones, by the way. Um, and then, you know, you blow out Ole Miss, you look great. Next week you lose to Zach Calzada in Texas. And then, you know, you blow out Mississippi state the next week. You're, you're right there with Tennessee at home in the fourth quarter until you pull away late. You almost lost at home to LSU and, and their backups in a 20-14 to 14 game. And then at home against Arkansas, you struggle there. You win by seven in a, in a spot. You said Arkansas didn't even care about. You win 42-35. to 35. Then you have to go four overtimes to beat T.J. Finley, who couldn't hit a wide-open receiver if his life depended on it, against, guess what, an AAC team that beat auburn in a bowl you, you need to win 24 22 in a game you should have lost in four overtimes and then you blow out georgia i mean this is this is one of the most inconsistent teams from a coverage standpoint from an offensive line standpoint and now you lose Mechie. and now everyone just says crown Bama. i make this line nine i think cincinnati is getting way disrespected here they have the best secondary in the nation by far bar none Georgia's secondary is their weakness that's what alabama attacked good for them we've been saying that all year Georgia's secondary hasn't really been tested. Cincinnati's secondary is in a different stratosphere than Georgia's. They have the two best corners in all of college football and one of the best safeties. I, I mean, I could go on and on about that. They're not going to get anything through the air. They're going to hit some plays. I'm, I'm just saying compared to what we saw against Georgia. I mean, look, uh, Souths Carter's given 136 yards and 36 targets. He's allowed a 20 quarterback rating. 20. The next best is Riley Moss who plays in the, in the Big Ten. It's at 40. And then you got Kobe Bryant who won the Thorpe Award. That pair has allowed three touchdowns and six interceptions on the year. Gardner, by the way, Sauce Gardner is the best corner in college football. Zero touchdowns, nine interceptions in eleven hundred career snaps. Is that good? Sounds good. Um, and you know this Cincinnati team—they play up and down in their competition all year long. I expect a really good effort here. Look, I think Alabama's going to try to Notre Dame this game and just run it a lot. They'll have some success there, but Cincinnati's still top five EPA per rush on defense. Their linebackers are excellent. Their safeties are excellent. Their corners are great. The loss of Mechie. I think they're going to feel it. And on the offensive side of the ball, I'm a little bit worried. I mean, look, you can't run on Alabama. Alabama's one consistent aspect of their team all year has been their run defense and they're, you know, arguably the best run defense. They're right there with Georgia. So Ken Ford, you know, with a little chip on his shoulder, get much going. I, I don't know. I don't think they're going to have much success. I get it. I think Ritter needs to use his legs and that's, something that has given Saban defense's issues in the past as a mobile quarterback, they're going to have that explosive plays through the air, which is the strength of the Cincy offense through play action. And I mean, they have an NFL caliber quarterback Cincy, which is, which is big here. So, you know, and just the Mechie loss is big. I mean, besides Williams, no other Alabama receiver has more than 32 catches or 333 yards on the year. And now you're going up against the best secondary in the country. Bama offensive line also just gives up a ton of negative plays, which Cincy can exploit. I mentioned they have great linebackers, Pace, Dublanco, Beavers. Sanders is great off the edge. Curtis Brooks is a menace pass rusher on the interior. So I, I, this is the best secondary that Alabama will face all year. And it's an Alabama team that could have lost to Auburn, could have lost to LSU, could have lost to Arkansas, could have lost to Florida. I mean, I can go on and on. Um, so I'll be interested to see what Alabama does with Jamison Williams. Are they going to slot? Because that's where you have to attack. That's where you have to attack Cincinnati. And – they put houston put dell was one of the best receivers in the country in the slot of season i 53 snaps in that aac championship game and yeah you know he had a really big big game um so i think that i love cincinnati here especially if you can get 14 wouldn't be shocked if they win this game out right heard it here first and i actually have them in a round robin underdog moneyline parlay. Maybe I'll look foolish. It's fine. They're fucking two touchdowns. They get blown out. So be it. But I see a lot of paths to success here, and I just think this Alabama team, look, we get good Alabama, they can blow them out. We get bad Alabama, they'll lose this. They'll go to four overtimes, and hopefully T.J. Finley hits a wide-open guy uh, where they decide to go for two. Cincinnati, I think, is going to be aggressive. Um, I think there's going to be a ton of Cincinnati fans here. I think they might have you know, even a home field advantage like from the crowd. I mean, Alabama's been here a million times. They're going to go here and travel on New Year's Eve. Everyone I talk to in Ohio, anywhere affiliated with the Cincinnati program, this is like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go to this game. Um, so I think there's going to be 80% Cincinnati fans in the crowd. I think the is going to be com- really aggressive here. They're not going to kick field goals. They're going to go for it on fourth down. So you don't have a field goal kicker anyway. Um, I think since he's live, they'll be in this game. I expect the game plan from Bama to run the ball, power-heavy, try to Notre Dame this game. But this Cincinnati secondary is the best in the nation. It's going to keep them in this game. Ritter can make enough plays. You like the under. I like Cincy. I like the Bama team total under 35 and a half. I,
1: I, 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 listen, I'm not going to fault you for taking uh, for taking Cincinnati out right here. I mean, I mean, there's a few double-digit dogs I, I had my eyes on during bowl season. But I, Cincinnati does have a path to give Alabama some problems. And I, I just think they're always going to be within striking distance. And plus, look at Alabama's game plan. It's just rushing. Uh, so, you know, milking clock. Definitely, I would love it if you're right. If Cincinnati has some success, uh, I definitely would not mind getting in live on Alabama at a lower number. Uh, but I think everybody should keep in mind when it comes to live betting, these two head coaches rank second and seventh in middle eight. Pay attention to when the, who wins the coin flip. Pay attention who's going to get back-to-back possessions at halftime, and the live betting will take on from there. So. Um, if you don't join stuck on the side, you can definitely follow me from my all hands uh, family meeting in front of the TV while I'm uh, pushing some cash over on some live betting on the side here.
0: Yeah, my and I believe that the under 35 and a half on Bama team total and my Cincy plus four, I have some plus 16 and a half, some plus 14. I'll probably add some plus 13 and a half, but I'm, I'm sure that there'll be public money on Bama to push this back up at one point to 14. And um, they're correlated in a way. I don't see Cincinnati being able to get to, you know, 28 here. And so not only are they correlated, so there's also a chance where if Bama just, if Ritter has a a really bad game and they can't run the ball, and then Alabama is just running it and Notre naming this game, which they did in Notre Dame, there's a chance Alabama wins this game like 31-10 too. Um, So I think that there's – there's a way that you can get the, the team total under Obama and then not cover. Um, but I, I, don't, I, I, don't like they I don't they want to be flashy.
1: They don't want to be flashy heading into the national championship game.
0: Just like their, well, fans. Yeah, especially, their yeah, fans. Especially if, if you assume they're going to get Georgia again because Georgia's the favorite. You just threw all over Georgia, right? And now you don't have Mechie. And it's like, do we really want to show more? Of what we're doing from our passing attack, because that's all Georgia's going to be. Georgia wins this. If Georgia beats Michigan, we'll talk about that game in a second. The entire prep for Georgia over from between Saturday and the national championship will be how do we stop Jameson Williams, Bryce Young, and the Alabama passing attack, right? So you probably don't, you just played them, showed them a lot. You probably don't want to show a lot more on tape. All right, let's move on to that second. College 12 playoff game, and that's the Orange Bowl between number two Michigan and number three, Georgia. Georgia's a seven and a half point favorite here over under 45, 45 and a half. This game will be played at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami Gardens, Florida, 7:30 Eastern on ESPN. Georgia was dealing with COVID issues earlier during bowl prep. Um seemed to be okay now, but it's something to keep an eye on. Dax Hill for Michigan. Didn't travel with the team, maybe travel with the team. Sounds like he didn't because of COVID who knows if he'll be there in time for the game. That's a massive loss. If he's out. Um, other than that, I, I guess there's the quarterback question with Georgia, but I, it looks like, I assume Stetson Bennett is going to start Ooh, any other newsworthy things here. Georgia's defensive coordinator is leaving. Um, but it's a ball playoff game. So you can expect all hands on deck. Dax Hill was the main body, uh, to watch there. I will get into this game in a sec. But I'll go off of you again. What do you see here?
1: I think using Dan Lanning defensive coordinator for Georgia going to Oregon, you know, as narrative as to why Georgia, you know, won't be playing their best in this game is a little, like I said, narrative street, because what helps in a recruiting, when you're on a recruiting visit inside of a, a player's house in front of his parents, having a national championship bring on. So I don't think Dan Lanning is like, one of these one foot out the door and I don't care about this. So I, I would put yeah, that
0: one. It's a cause playoff.
1: Yeah. So the one thing that sticks out to everyone is that David DeJabo and Aiden Hutchinson are a wrecking crew and they cannot be stopped right now. That's on everybody's brain. And in passing downs, that is absolutely the truth where they have a pass rush grade of third for Michigan uh, per PFF. But when you flip over to the rush defense, it's a completely different story. 109th and stuff rate 53rd in standard downs line yards. There are five running backs with at least 45 carries for Georgia. You throw Stetson Bennett's 293 rushing yards in there, and there is a long list of names that can keep Michigan defense in standard downs. Uh, Of Bennett's rushing yards, half of them have come on design calls. So, you know, we mentioned that what Alabama is in man and zone coverage and how good they've been. Michigan's been better in the back seven. Uh, I mean, they're graded just as high with, you know, leading off with D.J. Turner. So I don't think Georgia is going to line up and try to throw the ball down the field, especially with Stetson Bennett. And if the offense is not capable of getting the ball, you know, running on this defense, which they should be able to, I mean, Ajabo and Hutchinson are coming so hard off the, you know, especially off the edges that running it up the gut may be right in order. Um, but we'll see what happens. Because I think if they get into passing downs consistently, Todd Mumkin may elect to put in JT Daniels. And, the, and you know, I've, I've heard from practice reports that, he is throwing the ball a lot more. So it's going to be interesting to see if tempo is where Todd Munkin goes with the running game, keep substitutions from coming on the field, but taking advantage of this defensive line and this defensive front seven from a run game perspective, that's what the game plan is going to be. If Michigan is able to get into passing downs, we'll probably see JT Daniels because Stetson Bennett, when he has pressure, he's had more turnover-worthy plays and big-time throws. He has an adjusted completion percentage that drops 30% when he has a crowded pocket. He does not like pressure whatsoever. J.D. Daniels, if you combine some of his numbers from this year, last year, he's pretty smooth, especially when the blitz is on. Uh, he has no drop whatsoever in his adjusted completion rate when he has blitz on him. Uh, when you look over the past two years, sample size at Georgia, I think quick outs over to a Aj- over a Jabbo and Hutchinson. That's going to be the key in passing downs. Trevon Henderson was targeted five times out of the backfield, did some damage for Ohio State against a Michigan defense. As to where, you know, Jackson, Jackson Smith, Njigba, and Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, after they caught the ball, they were allowed no extra yards whatsoever. So, Georgia, like Alabama, I think is going straight rush. They have five guys that can do it. That's a huge stable to give a month to get healthy with this offensive line. I think Munkin's going to go look at the Wisconsin tape and see how they attack them five yards per play on standard downs. Wisconsin had two explosive drives. How often have we said that this year? So, that's going to be the game plan, I think, from an offensive perspective big handicap, though, comes on the other side of the ball. And the big, you know, Blake Corum, Hassan Haskins, Donovan Edwards, are they going to keep Michigan out of passing downs? Because the team that has more passing downs in this game is the loser, period, on offense. Cade McNamara having to throw in passing downs is not what Michigan is trying to get to. So my guess is that Devontae Wyatt, Jordan Davis, you know, they're top 20 in standard down line yards. They're 10th in opportunity rate. Teams are not running on Georgia whatsoever. This will be the best rush defense. Forget Ohio State. I mean, this will be probably the best rush defense that they've faced. That includes Wisconsin. And there are eight defenders. This is what I couldn't believe. Go up to P, go out to PFF, dump out individual run defense grades for all the players, top 200 individual. Eight of them are Georgia players. Uh, and that's like cutting, that's making sure that they've played at least 300 snaps. So, I mean, eight individual players in the top 200 against the run. This is going to be really tough for Michigan. Um, both these teams are excellent, the special teams. Both of these teams are top six in tackling. I think Mike McDonald, you know, coming in from the Ravens is great. He has revamped the entire coverage scheme. The entire way that the the back seven has worked for Michigan is what's got them here to this point, in my opinion, uh, is the changes that they've made to finally get over that Ohio State hump. But it's not applicable to Georgia at all. Uh, You're going to have to be able to defend the run, which they've had a problem with. So as for the number, I make it eight. I know SP Plus makes this six. And considering the entire state of Michigan – is going to be gambling on this on their Wolverines. There's going to be some pretty heavy money on Michigan and you're going to see sharp hit it at seven. And I'm starting to see, you know, some, some sharp books out there right now, deflate the the juice. I think we're going to get a seven at some point, and you're probably going to end up seeing uh, some buyback on Georgia. You know, as for the total, if JT Daniels comes into this game or Stetson Bennett is running up tempo with a heavy rush attack, they can take advantage of this Michigan team. and They can get some points up on the board. Now, Let's not forget, the Georgia secondary can be taken advantage of. Alabama did it. They finally proved that this young, raw secondary that wasn't tested all year can be taken advantage of. So I expect J.J. McCarthy or Cade McNamara to get an explosive play or two when they're in passing downs. They'll get their points. I just don't think that they can keep up with what Georgia is going to try to do, which is steamroll them and stay out of passing downs. So Georgia at seven, I'm interested. Uh, over 45, I've already bought. I think that number is going to continue to go up as we get closer to the game.
0: Yeah. Low number on a, uh, for a a college football semifinal. I, this is all Georgia for me. Um, I think this is a horrendous matchup for Michigan dug into this game really deep. All I want is seven. Um, I just want the seven to pop so I can hit Georgia and look the Georgia secondary, which we had questions about all year, once exposed by Alabama. Yeah. That was a Heisman trophy winning quarterback and Jamison Williams that wide receiver Michigan's passing attack is not that this is Michigan's passing attack is similar to some of the average SEC run first teams that Georgia completely shut down during the regular season and just like everyone was crowned Bama already did we forget about Georgia all year long unlike Alabama they just dominated everybody they played did we forget about that all of a sudden and you know when I look at the matchup here, Michigan, look, these are two slower-paced teams that like to run it. They're both outside the top 90 in adjusted pace. Um, but, I mean, for example, Michigan's 87th in EPA per pass, and Georgia is number one in a lot of categories against the pass. We saw them get exposed last year. But, you know, they, they, I mean, for, for example, Michigan has the same exact success rate on runs that it does on passes. That's, that's pretty hard to do, but you cannot run on Georgia. You cannot do it. They, you know, they're going to play with two high safeties and you mentioned some of their run grades. How about this? Take interior run defenders. Three of the top four in the country are on Georgia, Wyatt Davis and Carter. The other one is Mustapher for Penn state. who's out. Right. That's three of the top four. And that frees up Dean and company. They also excel against inside zone, just dominate inside zone, which Michigan loves to run. Michigan's also struggled immensely with stunts and twists That's all Georgia does up front. Uh, On the other side of the ball, and also on the other side of the ball, when and by the way, Michigan, number one in EPA on trick plays this season by like a wide margin, Georgia, very disciplined defense. I don't think you can expect to get a lot there. And then Brittany, who didn't play for Georgia, their slot. I don't know why he didn't play against Alabama, but Alabama feasted with Williams and then in the slot. I expect him to come back. Chris Smith, who was a little banged up at safety, he should be healthy here. So the secondary will be healthier and I don't think Michigan can attack it the same way that Alabama did. I'm not even close on the other side of the ball. I think Michigan does have some weaknesses against the run. I think Georgia will be able to run the ball here. No Dax Hill would be huge, especially against Brock Powers, who's just a stud at tight end and Michigan, you know, Georgia's number one in the country in EPA per pass on early downs. Why play action teams are so worried about the run they're throwing on play action. Well, Michigan, 4.3 yards per play allowed on non-play action dropbacks, seven on play action dropbacks, allowed 114 passer rating against play action. That's bad here. That's a really bad sign. So can Michigan get – I mean, with the keys, you got to get Bennett playing from behind or in clear passing situations. I don't think Michigan is going to be able to do that here. And, you know, it's – this is – A Georgia team that dominated everyone all year, lost in the SEC championship in embarrassing fashion, had to sit on that for a month. Everyone hearing, oh, Georgia, the same old Georgia. I expect them to come out with their hair on fire. This is a team that just was dominant all year long. People are forgetting that. recency bias. city. Everyone's remembering the Michigan beat Ohio State in the blizzard. I think Georgia – this is just a – look, Michigan, I give them a ton of respect for getting here, getting over the Ohio State hump. They deserve to be in the college football playoff. I don't think it will be a complete blowout, but I, I think the Michigan offense is going to struggle. Really good matchup for the Georgia defense, and it's a really good matchup for the Georgia offense across the board. And now Michigan's not going to beat itself with penalties and turnovers, which is a good thing in a game like this. But I think they're. this is just a really poor matchup. I want the seven. I want Georgia. This is still the best team in the country.
1: Agree completely, and I'll be with you on the seven, and then uh, we'll see box score adjustments. Uh, early talk here. I think we make I make Georgia about minus one, minus one and a half against Alabama, and uh, we'll see how that plays out. But if Cincinnati wins, uh, you know, with your prediction, uh, I think the spread would be a little bit different than one and a half, but uh, we'll see. So I don't uh, think
0: they're going to. Uh, that's my prediction. Yeah, fine, I'll make it my prediction. <laughs>
1: um you say they'll cover. All right, with Cincinnati, they'll cover. So that I, mean, I think
0: they're going to have a shot. I think they're going to have a shot to win um if, if that happens and i'm on the money line i mean cincinnati that, georgia rematch from last year in the national title you heard it here first and the only place you'll hear it yeah and i would prefer that to not happen
1: and, and because if,
0: if listen if cincinnati does come i would prefer for it not to happen too because i want to bet georgia against alabama so <laughs> i need alabama here if they're gonna win win by uh 10. Yeah, yeah.
1: if you get Cincinnati covering this game and actually giving Alabama any kind of scare in the second half. Yeah, if
0: Alabama's going to win, I want Cincinnati to cover via backdoor, down 17 late. Right.
1: Because this national championship spread is going to be Georgia minus 3.5, and, and I don't want that. I yeah. want this to be yeah. a nice minus 1, minus mm-hmm. 1.5. You can get ahead of the steam on one side, buyback on the other. You get 10 days to do it. I, I do not want – if Cincinnati yeah. challenges Alabama, we get a bad national title spread, period.
0: Yeah, I'm still a Georgia over three, over a field goal. I didn't, over, I didn't like completely think that Alabama all of a sudden is last year's team. They've done this all year. Great performances, bad ones. Performance. It was a great performance against Georgia. Um, and, uh, yeah, I still have Georgia over a three-point favorite on a neutral field against Alabama. But we, we will save that talk for another day. All right, that does it for Friday. Let's move on to Saturday. Let's talk the Outback Bowl between Penn State and Arkansas. Arkansas is a one-point favorite over under 48. This game will be played at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa, Florida. Noon Eastern on ESPN2. Let me get the news out of the way. Penn State lost defensive coordinator Brett Pry, who left for Virginia Tech's job. I don't think they've named the D.C. For, this, for the bowl game. Both of Penn State's leading tacklers, both their linebackers, Brandon Smith and Ellis Brooks, opted out, as did safety Jaquan Brisker who will play in the NFL just three massive losses Javon Dotson they're all everything receiver he also is not playing here and then on the Arkansas side Traylon Burks their star receiver he declared for the NFL draft they also lost Trey Williams to a DWI my quick handicap on this game Arkansas by the way much tougher schedule both teams like to use pace gears get your thoughts there Penn State offense, I mean, it's ugly. If you look at some of the metrics, they're outside the top 90 and per paper play and success rate. And grading out right around average nationally when you adjust for schedule, that's because they can't run the ball at all, at all. Like one of the worst rushing teams in the country. And now you you remove Dotson for the passing attack. So I think that there's a lot of of pass to success for this Arkansas defense. And then the other side of the ball, what can Arkansas do without the explosiveness of Burks? That's the... Primary question here, but yeah, Penn State defense missing both of their leading tacklers at linebacker, another star safety. Big losses there. I played some Arkansas here at plus one. I think when you adjust the rosters um, and look at the matchup, they're the better team here, clearly. And um, maybe the SEC is due for a win at the minimum. You'll be here. This is your team. Uh, What's the handicap? Yeah, well, imagine, imagine if the SEC is, un- is has no wins by noon on Saturday. That means it's a uh, Michigan-Cincinnati final. Woo pig suey. Absolute dumpster fire, dumpster fire. I don't know how we win a game the rest of the year. Just blow the program
1: up. Give us a death sentence.
0: Collins talking Razorback football.
1: (laughs) Sam Pittman has been a covering machine 14-7-1 against the spread since he took over at Arkansas through two years. This team could not be more excited Uh, They have won every rivalry trophy this year from battle line to the boot to the Southwest cap classic against Texas A&M. And now they've got their eyes set on the Outback bowl. Losing Traylon Burks is tough. If Arkansas was going to spend the majority of this game in passing downs, I don't think they are. Now, one thing to look out for is Tyson Morris. The next biggest target on the list from a wide receiver perspective is Tyson Morris. He did not make the scheduled flight with the hogs down to Tampa. Uh, You know, Pittman said it's personal uh, so I'll just leave it up to that. Maybe he'll be here Wednesday for for practice. There is no word as of this morning whether Tyson Morris has landed on the ground down in St. Pete or Tampa uh, to get ready for this game. So Arkansas may be extremely limited in who they're going to hit downfield. But are they going to? Ha- is KJ Jefferson going to need to throw downfield? I don't think that they're going to be in passing downs that much because what you have is a elite running back unit: Dominique Johnson and Raheem Sanders. They're two yards away. Each of them are two yards away from Arkansas having four players that have 500 rushing yards on the season. Uh, Raheem Sanders, you know, started getting nicked up, banged up, bruised up towards the end of the season. His production went down. Dominic Johnson, the last two games was nicked up, bruised up. Uh, They've now all had a month to get fresh and ready. So not. By the
0: way, as of 20 minutes ago, Tyson Morris, good to go. Good to go.
1: We have an option for KJ Jefferson to throw to. And passing downs. It's good to know that he's in town and he's probably cleared COVID uh, 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 protocols and he's going to be there. So this is a run first option with Kendall Briles uh, and they're going to go hard at Penn State. And and listen, that you already mentioned P.J. Mustafer. The rush defense for Penn State has been atrocious since he went down. Defensive interior. He's out of this game. Uh, Illinois went for over three hundred and fifty yards between the tackles. And, you know, Penn State has had to adjust since then. Now you're taking off their top two linebackers who are also their top two tacklers and you're taking Brisker out of the, out of the secondary. I can't see Arkansas getting into passing downs. I think between KJ Jefferson, you know, designed runs, KJ Jefferson getting mobile outside the tackles. uh, If they get into a third and long situation, I, I just think this is a really bad deal for, for the Penn State defense. that Not only lost their coordinator, we don't know who's calling plays. And as far as tempo goes, these teams are 13th and 34th in tempo. And I expect Kendall Bryles to pick it up to eliminate substitutions on the field. I think on the other side of the ball is where you're going to want to stop buying Arkansas at minus one. Trey Williams is not going to be playing in this game. Defensive edge for Arkansas. That should give Sean Clifford a little bit more time to throw. Mike Irasich has done an amazing job of getting Sean Clifford to eliminate mistakes. But we've already mentioned it. They've lost Jahan Dotson. Uh, Dotson was everything. Um, you know, there, there may be no other offense in the entire country that is more dependent on a single player where Dotson had 138 pass targets this season. It's just a recipe for Arkansas to just absolutely steamroll uh, Penn State, you know, from the offense perspective. Now on defense, I get a little bit nervous. Jalen Catalan's been out for a while. He will return next season. Uh, Barry Odom, defensive coordinator, doesn't mind you getting all the available yards in between the 20s. Uh, he just wants the, you know, the defense to be stout in the red zone. So I expect Penn state to actually kind of move the ball, uh, especially with Trey Williams out, not applying any pressure, but I don't know who the players are that he's going to hit. And I don't know who's going to score any points. Cause this team is atrocious from a finishing
0: drives perspective. Um, yeah, they can't run it. That's why they can't run it. And now you don't have Dotson to hit can't run it.
1: Yeah. Can't run it. Can't throw it. Um, you know, Penn state fell outside the top 50 in tackling this season. That's a reflection of coaching and without Brent Pry. I think that's going to get even worse. We've seen money come in on the over. It got down to 47, and there's some over money, big over money that hit it and popped it back up to 48. So my guess there is is when Arkansas's running backs, who are fresh, bust through that line, which everyone else has been able to do since P.J. Moosefer went out, these could be like 12-yard type gains, and they may run this defense ragged. And there's one thing I know about this Arkansas team, they're on a mission. Uh, Grant Morgan, these seniors that are on this defense that have been through three different head coaches haven't been to a bowl ever i we're not taking knees we're not running slow uh if the over is going to hit it's because the secondary and the linebackers fresh linebackers off the penn state defense can't tackle whatsoever and the tackling metrics went down the last half of the season for penn state so you know uh i'm with arkansas all the way projected total of 49 I think at minus one you stop by and You look for maybe a juice money line, but uh, yeah, this is Woo Pig Sui. Uh, I'll be in the building, and, and I look forward to seeing everybody. Well,
0: no, you can tackle. You can make it go out there and make a tackle on a on a play <laughs> if we need you, um, or pull the pull the fire alarm or something. Woo Pig Sui. But yeah, I'm with you. I wanted the under, assuming that Dotson and Burks were going to be out, but not you know these te- I, not anymore. These teams run pace, and then all of the Penn State. Uh, opt-outs on defense are huge. Like you mentioned, their tackling issues. Well, their two best tacklers at linebacker are out, and then their top safety is out. <clears throat> and then Arkansas has some issues on defense. And the, you throw in the pace there. No, thank you on the under. I will be on the over. It's no Trey. It's huge. Yeah. No Trey Williams. No Trey Williams. No Catalan. Yeah. So, all right, from your team to mine, another SEC team. Maybe it'll be down to Kentucky to get the first <laughs> SEC win at 1 p.m. Eastern. Oh, and hopefully you don't have to leave uh, Tampa and uh, head to Orlando in the first half of Arkansas's down. You know, thirty-one nothing to go catch a, a competitive bowl game. You One p.m. Wife,
1: Eastern. My wife, who is Iowa, like Iowa-born, uh, bred, everything. Like she's uh, not happy. This game's at the same time as Razorbacks. So maybe we will be at halftime on the way down to
0: Orlando. Yeah, you might be heading to Orlando, Camp Camping World Stadium. For the Citrus Bowl, as number 15 Iowa will take on number 22 Kentucky. Kentucky is out to a three-point favorite, over under 44. A couple notes here. Iowa star center Tyler Linderbaum, who's, well, I would argue, the best center in the country, projected to go first round. He's going to play here. Spencer Petras listed as the starting quarterback for the Hawkeyes. They had some back and forth there at the end of the year. The Iowa secondary quarterback, Matt Hankins, has been ruled out with an injury. It's a big loss. And backup Terry Roberts also wasn't listed on the depth chart. Kentucky will be without wide receivers Josh Ali and Isaiah Epps, who were involved in a car accident. I think Epps is also trans transferring. When I look at this game, look, it's – I think it's Kentucky or nothing here. I have them in a round robin. Um, I – look, they're – if you look at Kentucky's offense, it was spectacular this year with their – New coordinator, Cohen, and and bringing in Levis. I mean, they're top 10 across the board in a lot of advanced metrics. Iowa, on the other hand, bottom 10 in almost every advanced metric on offense. This Kentucky team is very weak against past success, like efficient passing. That's their weakness here. We talked about that a lot. And their run defense wasn't as good as usual. They had some injuries on the defensive line. McCall will be back here at least. Not a team that has a lot of high pass success rate. Not a team that's going to take advantage of Kentucky's secondary. So I think that – and by the way, these are two teams that want to run the ball, and they're very slow. They're both outside the top 100 in adjusted pace. Kentucky's actually slower than Iowa. They're 119th in adjusted pace. When I look at this game, look, Iowa's defense is better than Kentucky's, but the gap isn't that big. You know, Kentucky's still top 40 defense. The biggest gap in this game is Kentucky's offense – versus iowa's offense the iowa offense is just dreadful uh, and in this iowa this iowa team is just not as good as we're used to seeing in the trenches right outside of linderbaum their offensive line has been really poor and their defensive line which lost a lot and has had to use a lot of redshirt freshmen not the same kentucky should own the line of scrimmage here with their excellent offensive line they should be able to run the ball levis can hit some passes the loss of hankins is pretty big uh, kentucky's just going to be able to score more and that's what i think it comes down to the one thing that concerns me is as with, with every iowa game is turnovers iowa third best turnover margin in the country at plus 13 kentucky third worst at minus 13 so you want to talk about a complete difference that's what iowa thrives on turnovers short fields you know kentucky lost 22 and had only nine takeaways Iowa lost only 16 and had 29 takeaways, 20 more, uh, 20 more takeaways. So that is the one thing that concerns me here. But I think that the handicap, you know, both teams, I think, will care here. Both well coached. Can Kentucky avoid the turnovers? If they do, I think that it's a pretty simple handicap is Iowa can't take advantage of some of the issues in the Kentucky secondary and the Kentucky offense is just so much better than the Iowa offense. And they should dominate the line of scrimmage here. Against a, a, a down Iowa defensive front and a secondary that's missing Hankins. What do you see here?
1: Well, one of the biggest offseason projects we had last year was that finishing drives equates against the spread wins. And this is one of those games where there is a clear leader in against and finishing drives, and that's Kentucky. Kentucky fourth on offense and uh, finishing drives that's uh, scoring opportunities when you when your offense gets past the 40yard line. Iowa defense 82nd. And defensive finishing drives, they're allowing teams to score touchdowns, uh, you know, below national average. And then you go to the other side of the ball, Iowa's bottom 10 in the nation, offensive finishing drives. Even if they're able to get a sustainable drive or hit us explosive play, if they get within the 40-yard line, they're one of the worst teams in the nation to getting points up on the board. Kentucky's defense, nothing special, but 48th in defensive finishing drives is good enough to uh, stop Iowa from getting points up on the board. Well, these teams, extremely slow outside the top 100 pace and you mentioned it, there's nothing in Iowa's offense whatsoever. There's no advance mention where I can tell you how they're going to score a point. I I really don't even know actually how they're going to score a point. And I'm sure them being fourth in SP plus special teams is going to have something to do with them getting points up on the board. Uh, But from a covering perspective, you know, when you have two teams that run at this pace that are, you know, and, and Kentucky's, you know, one of the highest ranked teams in Havoc allowed, they don't make mistakes. So I side with you on Kentucky. Is, you know, but the bigger that point spread gets, the harder it's going to be to cover. I think the best bet in this game, because the game is being played at 1 p.m. Eastern time, it's an early game in the day. The, the first half under is the player. I, I still don't know how I was going to score. Kentucky, generally a slow starter, but they will get points up on the board. One book out there, one big book out there right now, is offering under 23. It's 21 and a half across the market. One book out there is hanging at 23 on the first half under. I think 45 was key. It's exactly where I project it uh it that take has taken massive under money it's down to 44 one of the sharpest books out in las vegas as we record this took it down to 43 and a half this 23 first half under is what i'm going to take i don't see how these teams score points uh especially iowa kentucky will score their points but they're not going to blow them out and i think that there's a a mutual admiration between these two coaches where i see knees and not you know things being run up uh no sunny cumby running around with a a pump jack chain and, and things like that so uh I'm going to take a first half under here. I lean with you on Kentucky. I'll probably end up making it a play because, you know, like I said, finishing drives means everything when covering the spread. All
0: right, let's move on to the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, 1 p.m. Eastern on ESPN on Saturday. That's between number nine, Oklahoma State, and number five, Notre Dame. Notre Dame, two, two two-and-a-half-point favorite here over under 45-and-a-half. This game will be played at State Farm Stadium in Glendale, Arizona. Notes here with Brian Kelly leaving for Baton Rouge. Marcus Freeman, new head coach, will obviously take over the reins here. For Notre Dame, star safety Kyle Hamilton, he won't play. Additionally, their star running back Kyron Williams will also skip the fiesta ball to prepare for the NFL draft. Oklahoma State's defensive coordinator Jim Knowles, who left for the same position at Ohio State, will coach the defense for this ball. That's really important here. When I look at this game, look, I love Oklahoma State, man, Um, and Spencer Sanders scares me, but um, I – dug in the Notre Dame, and I think that they're a bit of a paper tiger without Kyron Williams. Kyron Williams thought was huge. Towards the end of the year, he really came on. The offensive line had some changes. But, you know, and obviously not having Kyle Hamilton out there will hurt. The Notre Dame bottom 20 in defensive line havoc and sacks allowed, that's big against Oklahoma State, top five in both. So I think that there's going to be some havoc here against Cone. Notre Dame also ran really well in the red zone. And in finishing dry, I don't think that that they can't really run the ball without Williams. I don't think that that can persist against an Oklahoma State defense. That's excellent when it comes to finishing drives. And I think Oklahoma State has some positive aggression in that aspect, as their offense did get a little better as the year went on. But, look, Notre Dame's schedule. You have to – you can't just look at the strength of schedule, but you have to really dive deeper here. And they benefited from a lucky schedule. Look, they were 11-1 on the season through one-possession games. They trailed – or led by four or less in the fourth quarter in seven of their 12 games. So they went six and one against bowl teams. So those are the ones that really matter. Let's look at those games. They played Wisconsin without Braylon Allen, completely different Wisconsin team who couldn't run the ball at all. Then they trailed going into the fourth quarter in that game. And then Mertz vomited on himself. They played Toledo without Daquan Finn, Toledo, much better with Finn Toledo led in South Bend, Going into the fourth. Notre Dame won by three. Okay, they beat Purdue at home by 14. It was a four-point game in the fourth. They lost to Cincy at home. They beat Vatek by three. Trailed going into the fourth. They beat UNC by 10. They gave up 600 yards and were in that game. Four-point game in the fourth. Then they played Virginia without Brennan Armstrong. Who cares? That's not a bowl-caliber team. Virginia without Brennan Armstrong. It's it's the the Chiefs without Patrick Mahomes. Brennan Armstrong is their entire team. They even faced Georgia Tech, a non-bowl team, without Gibbs, like, a completely different team. So, like every single possible team that you know that they could have played, that was a little shorthanded. You know, by the way, they went to they went to overtime with Florida State to start the year, another non-bowl team. They won by that game by three. So, you know, one of their last the six opponents they started blowing out these teams were bowl caliber because you UBA with Arm without burning Armstrong is not a bowl caliber team, and the only that only, that team was UNC who outgained them. So I think this UNCT, this Notre Dame team is a bit overrated and overinflated in the market because of some of these results at the end of the year against non-bowl teams or completely crippled bowl teams. And now you lose Kyron Williams, just a huge piece of that team. I think Oklahoma State's defensive line is going to have a huge day here. And I think that they can do enough on offense to get this done. I'm just waiting on the three. Give me. It looks like every ticket in the world's on Notre Dame. Hey, just get the, get this to three. Someone fucking put a three out there for me. I've been staring at this line for weeks. Pokes.
1: Yeah, I'm 100% with you. I'll only add a couple things here. I mean, whether Jim Knowles is there or not, I mean, the whole defensive staff, nothing's changed here. Even Joe Bob Clements, the defensive line coach, took the podium yesterday, and he said the game plan, uh, you know, right now is a collective effort. And we all know that one, one thing that we have to do to stop tight end Michael Mayer so it doesn't matter he's playing quarterback they will be all over uh Mayer uh like crazy so uh, this is just a, to me uh a not good situation for Notre Dame you mentioned about I mean I lost the season win total under nine on some just you know some ridiculousness this year that Notre Dame was able to you know do especially
0: yeah when- people were people were look I, I don't blame Notre Dame people were low on this team coming into the year. they overperformed they won a lot of close games they got a lot of breaks with who was playing like I love the higher market Freeman, but they got a lot of breaks on, you know, playing Virginia without Armstrong, playing Wisconsin without out, Al- winning all these close games late. But people are, you know, then, then they, win, they win six or seven to close the year against mainly non-bowl teams, and then everyone has forgotten. This is co- sort of a rebuilding year for Notre Dame. You got to give credit to the program for their year. But I, I think that the, the impression of this Notre Dame team is completely overinflated. Uh, and then this is still an Oklahoma State team that I have as the second-ranked defense in the country.
1: Well, I think another thing to take in consideration, we're not a trends podcast, but Mike Gundy is 10 5 against the spread in bowl games. And I believe I have to double check me on this, but I believe he's won five. He's covered the spread five straight in bowl games. So he has progressed as he's been in this role for, for the Cowboys for a long time uh, when it comes to bowl preparation. Uh, and then you know the offensive side I was a little hesitant with Oklahoma State when this number first came out because of what we saw with Spencer Sanders and the multiple defense but like I said before Baylor, Dave Aranda, every time he's seen Spencer Sanders he's given him a ton of trouble but Spencer Sanders has been fine without that. Marcus Freeman's going to continue to go with 4-3 and a 425 We get a clean sheet from Spencer Sanders here, then absolutely, then they're, they're going to win this game outright. Uh, so I'm with you. I'm waiting for the Oklahoma State plus three. If we don't get it, I'd rather play Moneyline than the two and a half. All
0: right, let's move on to the Rose Bowl, 5 p.m. Eastern on ESPN between number 11 Utah and number six Ohio State. The Buckeyes are a four-point favorite here, over under 64. This game will, of course, be played at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California. A lot of notes on the Ohio State side. Chris Alave, Garrett Wilson, two likely 1st round draft picks of receiver. They're out. Uh, they're Petit Ferrer, their starting left tackle. He's out. Haskell Garrett, their highest-rated defender, and their interior defensive lineman. He's out. Recent practice reports, Antoine Jackson, their defensive tackle. These are all contributors. Not seen there. Starting linebacker, Cody Simon. Not seen. Cornerback, Seven Banks. Not seen. Their starting slot, Marcus Williamson. Not seen. Couple other depth guys we're not seeing. 18 scholarship players in all were missing from practice. So I, you know, when I look at this game, I don't know if I look Ohio State's beat up. They have a lot of opt outs, huge opt-outs on the offensive side of the ball. I also don't know if they care. This is a team that won that dreams of going to the comfortable playoff. And this is a disappointment for them. And now you're seeing that with all these opt-outs because you know who's excited to be here? Utah. Their first ever Rose Bowl. You know who has about six or seven guys who declared for the NFL draft? Utah. You know what every single one of them, those players is doing? Playing in this bowl game. Uh, so that shows you the difference. The Ohio State guys are not playing in the bowl that are going to the NFL. The Utah guys, you know, they're – who we have? Covey, Pledger, Sewell, uh, Tefua. I mean, I can go on and on. They're all declared. They're all playing. Uh, Fatheringham. I mean, there's, there's a lot of them. They all said they're going to play. And then from a matchup, and also, look, I think Utah motivation, Utah cares, Utah full strength, Ohio State not. You know who else cares? Utah fans, first ever Rose Bowl. You know also doesn't care? Ohio State fans. You know where this game is, a lot closer to Utah. You see that Pac-12 title? This is probably going to be like a Utah home game. So keep that in mind as well. And then from a matchup perspective, Ohio State's defense, they allowed a lot of explosive runs. And then they allowed for teams to efficiently pass against them. Well, what is th- that's what Utah does, explosive runs and efficiently pass. Uh, Utah was ranked eighth in explosive run percentage, 23rd in passing down success rate. Ohio State, 83rd and 101st in those two categories. Utah's secondary top 10 in every advanced metric. And now we don't have to face Wilson and Alave. Now look, Ohio State has five-star kids all over the place, but it was hard to replace. And they obviously don't have a lot of experience it's worth noting Utah is a snooper stu- snail. Ohio State wants to go fast, but I, I think this is all Utah. Um, four or above, fine with me. Moneyline, fine with me. Um, <laughs> I think the Utes win this game.
1: Yeah, to me, this is a Utah Moneyline uh, wager that I probably should have put in uh, before all the announcements of the players that we knew that were going to set out on this game. Uh, so I don't think it's too late when you're listening to this. Go ahead and put in a Utah Moneyline wager. Uh, Cam Rising has been on Fire uh, anybody that's in his path. He has obliterated this season, uh, and there should be no difference here. This was an Ohio State team that was already outside the top fifty in defensive rushing success rate. Uh, Utah is going to be able to run on them all day. Uh, you look at some of the other things: finishing drives. Utah has the advantage on offense. Uh, Ohio State's number one in the nation in offensive finishing drives. I think CJ Stroud and Travion Henderson and the players that are left are going to be able to do a little bit of damage, but it's going to take a couple quarters for them to get acclimated with the new players and the new positions. This is the first time out. And I, there's no way I would back Ohio state early in this game, considering all the transitions that Stucky just mentioned. Now, can Ohio state come back in the third quarter? Maybe. I mean, Ryan days one and two against the spread and bowl games. Maybe he can make the adjustments at halftime. Kyle Whittingham's pretty good at doing that too. He's eight and five against spread and bowl games. And this is, you know, one of the biggest games in Utah program uh, in 50 years. So you know, this is uh, this is a game where I want to lay Utah money line, and if Ohio State is lifeless, then we're sitting around with a great ticket on a live line that'll have Utah favored. And if you and if Ohio State figures something out at halftime, we should be able to get out of it. But to me, the plan of attack is to get behind Cam Rising and this offense that is just obliterating everybody right now against an Ohio State team. And I've said this for years: that Sugar Bowl where you take an SEC team. And they didn't make the college football playoff or they didn't make the national championship game. And then you sub them into the sugar bowl and they get blown out every year by the big 12 and the big 12 starts pounding their chest. That's what this game is, right? We don't have that in the sugar bowl this year. That's what the Rose bowl game is. Ohio state did not want to be here, which is crazy. It's crazy in our in today's world that a team that doesn't want to be in the Rose bowl. Uh, but that's the way to play it. You take, take Utah money line, reassess at halftime, see if Ohio state's lifeless.
0: I agree. All right, let's move on to the last bowl, the final bowl on Saturday, and that's the Sugar Bowl between number seven, Baylor, and number nine, excuse me, number eight, Ole Miss. Ole Miss is a one-and-a-half-point favorite here, over under 55-and-a-half. This game will be played at 8.45 p.m. Eastern on ESPN at the Caesars Superdome in New Orleans, Louisiana. The big news here is Matt Corral will play. Projected first-round draft pick. He's, it's just the type of guy that he is. He came out, and he said he's going to play. Offensive coordinator Jeff Levy, he's expected to take the same position at Oklahoma. Under new head coach Brett Venables, um, with Baylor, it's all about who's going to play at quarterback. Shapen, Bohannon, and he believes Dave Aranda, head coach, believes that the, the latter will be healthy by New Year's Day. The Ole Miss defense was a lot better than I thought this year. They, some of their advanced metrics, was like, "Wow, this is where Ole Miss was." Now poverty run day, but they were t- they have some really strong numbers against pass. They cannot defend the run, which is really troublesome. Against Baylor here, but Ben don't break defense. They can get some pressure. They were decent against the pass this year. You can hit some explosives against Baylor, um, which is, uh, I'm assuming, Ole Miss wants to do. And the, the biggest thing that I noted here is Baylor is a super snail and Ole Miss wants to go super fast. Like this is the tempo, biggest tempo contrast of any bowls. Ole Miss, those just tested. Like their top 10 strength of schedule, Baylor average national strength of schedule. And, uh, Baylor's low, their broad wins this year. Texas State, Kansas, Kansas State, and that's it. And then, you know, then they got Spencer Sanders gifting them a game, and then they get a stop at the goal line on a neutral field. It's so, like I just haven't been impressed with what they've done away from home. I don't have a strong feeling here. I'm leaning on miss. This line is just telling me that Baylor's going to win, though. I just, I'm getting that odd feeling. But I don't have a strong feel in this game yet. Um, I assume Lane's going to have a pretty damn good game plan, though, With you uh, a bowl with a lot of time to repair. You should see a few tricks up his sleeve. What do you see here?
1: I didn't understand the opening total whatsoever. The opening total was fifty and a half. and a half. I thought that was a huge mistake. Uh, it's a number I make at 58 and a half. Uh, we've seen it rise uh, as we record right now, it looks like we've eclipsed the key of 55 or up to 55 and a half. I would still take the over. I make it 58 and a half. So I play it up to 59. These two guys know each other extremely well. Dave Aranda knows Lane Kiffin back to the Alabama days, back to the LSU days. Lane Kiffen knows Dave Aranda and knows how to scheme and game plan for this. Not to mention Matt Corral's playing. Uh, not to mention Ole Miss, will give up as many available yards as possible for the rushing success rate defense. 124th in the nation, bottom 10 in line yards. Uh, they don't cause any havoc whatsoever. But what they have gone to is a two-man defensive front and dropping literally nine players into coverage. So they're just daring Bohannon or Shapen to run the field and get as many yards as they want. So I expect both of these teams – Ole Miss will be very well prepared for what Aranda is going to throw, the multiple formations and schemes and the blitzes. I I think Matt Corral will be just fine. Uh, They're going to go up-tempo to keep some of that, um, you know, to keep that communication going on with the defense and what they're going to do. They're going to, you know, Ole Miss is probably going to go as fast as possible, number two in the nation in plays per minute. Uh, I expect them to live up to that to try to avoid some of the Baylor uh, blitz and stunts that they're going to throw. But overall, this game is about prep, and both these teams are going to be very well prepped for what the other one wants to do. And Ole Miss doesn't play any defense. And both these teams are really good at getting points on the board. So, uh, you know, for me, I'm taking the over here still on this game. Took it early, got it on the app. I'd still play up to 59. Um, As far as the winner goes, I think this is a live betting game all the way. I think this is a possibility you could probably get seven on both sides, maybe six on both sides from a live betting standpoint. So, uh, you know, projection Ole Miss minus two and a half, that's not enough to get me to buy into minus one. Uh, I'll be playing the side live, but I just love the over here. Uh, there's just so many things from poor tackling grades uh, from poor grades against explosive plays. Uh, I just, I see points here.
0: Maybe I'll join you. All right. So we have one final bowl game to get to and that's on Tuesday, January 4th. That's the Texas bowl between six and six LSU and seven and five Kansas state. That's an NRG stadium in Houston, Texas, 9.00 PM Eastern on ESPN. These two teams last played a bowl in 2019. Kansas State lost in the Liberty Bowl to Navy. LSU won it all. Well, despite that, Kansas State is favored here by three and a half points over under 48. LSU four and six versus bowl teams this year. Kansas State three and four. Kansas State, a lot of news in this game. Kansas State expects to get quarterback Skylar Thompson back. That's huge. He missed the five regular season finale with an injury. Head coach Chris Lyman, he announced that the Wildcats will be won from offensive coordinator Courtney Messingham and Titans coach Jason Ray. Former Kansas State quarterback Colin Klein, Colin with two L's. Colin, there's one. Will serve as the interim offensive coordinator. And LSU just has tons of question marks all over. Uh, Max Johnson recently announced that a whole the transfer porter. Miles Brennan did the same, and then he's coming back, but he's out. So their quarterback is Garrett Nussmeyer, but he doesn't want to burn his res- his red shirt. He- they requested a waiver. I don't think it's going to get granted, which means... They're going to have a true freshman, a walk-on, or a converted wide receiver at quarterback. This is an offense that can't run the ball. It's an offense that's ranked 103rd in sack rate allowed against the Kansas State defense that can really get after the quarterback. And uh, LSU offensive will be missing three of its top seven receivers as a couple of them opt it out. On the other side of the ball, you know, you have obviously an interim staff with LSU with Brian Kelly coming in. Ed O is not coaching the ball. Brad, offensive line coach Brad Davis will serve as the interim. Few assistants have also left, as I mentioned. Hey, hey, bring your ass on. Bring your ass on, you little sissy blue shirt. <laughs> you know, Boutte's out for LSU, their top receiver. Trey Palmer, the other wide receiver, has entered the transfer portal, and one of their other receivers as well. On the other, on the defensive side of the ball, their best linebacker, Damone Clark, and their best defensive lineman by far, Neil Farrell, have both opted out to prepare for the NFL. They obviously already lost Ricks at corner. I was reading reports that there's only 55 guys available, including like walk ons that have practiced recently for LSU. And I expect more opt outs. Don't know if they even care here. Um, you know, LSU's top look. I mean, when I look at this, LSU's top outside the top 100 EPA per rush, they can't run the ball. And Kansas State, their defensive front, 15th in line yards, 16th in opportunity rate. You can't run on Kansas State. What you can do is throw in Kansas State but you don't, you have a maybe wide receiver playing quarterback. You have, you know, a lot of your receivers are gone. You have an offensive line that struggles in pass protection. Uh, that's not a good situation here. And then Kansas state, you know, I, I think that they're going to be able to move the ball on the ground here. LSU missing a lot of guys on defense, really good rushing team. Uh, getting Skylar Thompson back will help as well. Kansas state should care. Not sure LSU does. It's worth noting both of these teams are very slow. Kansas State's a super snail. They're like bottom 10 in the adjusted pace. LSU's slightly below average. Kansas State's top 25 in standard down rush rate. They want to run first, play slow. LSU's outside the top 100 in standard down rush rate, but I expect that number to rise. I I assume they're going to rather run it a lot here. So this might be an underlook. I love Kansas State. I got them plus one and a half. They're sitting at three and a half point favorites here. I'd take them up to four. What do you see here?
1: That's a good number on Kansas state. And for me, it all comes down to Garrett Nussmeyer and what the NCAA is going to do with his waiver. And you want to think about, I mean, with Miles Brennan coming back, it's really an interesting dynamic because Coach O was so involved. Then You have
0: this five-star Walker Howard coming back too. Coach
1: O was so involved with Nussmeyer's family about, about what the schedule was for him to play and whether he's going to and how he's going to play his four games, where he's going to play his four games because they didn't want to burn his red shirt whatsoever. No matter how many injuries to Max Johnson, Miles Brennan, there was, you know, Nussmeier's family was heavily involved in what games he was going to play because they didn't want to burn the red shirt. Now all of a sudden we're requiring the waiver. They don't get the waiver. Nussmeier not playing. And that means you're not going to be able to take advantage of a Kansas state defense. that's 93rd and passing success rate. Uh, You're not going to be able to take advantage of a a defense that's outside the top 100 and standard downs explosiveness. Nussmeyer's arm is just a cannon. Uh, He is going to be somebody to keep eyes on. And I don't know if he's coming back to the LSU program. So if he gets the waiver, obviously he wants to play before he goes in the portal to hopefully catch the eyes of a coach that will start him right away. Um, If he doesn't get the waiver, he's probably gone anyways. So I think the handicap and the total is completely dependent on the waiver for Garrett Nussmeyer. Um, I doubt I,
0: he gets it from what I, from what I've read.
1: Yeah, and I, I read an article like, article like fifteen minutes ago. Like it's there's still no decision, and I, I don't think we're gonna get a decision. And and it's it's crazy how the NCAA sorts their mail. I'm not even sure how that uh, process even works. So,
0: <laughs> well, they, Garrett Nussmeyer for the Texas Bowl is probably not uh, at the top of their list.
1: Yeah. So what we're gonna do here is I think you know you have to. What is the drop off from Max Johnson? down to possibly a wide receiver running wildcat this entire game. Uh, This is a game I would have made a pick. So if you think three and a half points is what Max Johnson is worth, then the number is um, fair market value. Uh, I happen to think that LSU has absolutely nothing to play for, but some of the individual players uh, have motives like Nussmeyer does to probably get in the portal and get a bit, you know, a job somewhere else. So, you know, for me, if Nussmeyer plays, I'm not going to back Kansas state. Um, and I think the total, which hasn't moved at all, is completely dependent also on him. If he doesn't play, it's a dead shot under, 100%. If he does play, then there's more of a chance that, you know, the passing downfield, you can take advantage of Kansas State. You can take advantage of their very poor 115th in tackling. Chris Kleiman gets his teams ready for postseason play in the postseason, including time he was at North Dakota State. He's 11-6-1 and one against the spread in postseason play. So he knows how to get his teams prepared. I want Kansas State in the spot, but I won't do it if Nussmeier is playing. If Nussmeier is playing – Um, then I won't be taking an under and I won't be taking Kansas State if he's not playing. I'm definitely taking an under 48
0: 100. All right, there you have it 10 bowls, including the college world playoff, broken down as in depth as you will find anywhere. We will have one more podcast, we have a couple live shows. Make sure you check that out. Um, on we tweet them out, we will have one on Friday morning, and of course, we will have a podcast next weekend. Before we're in Vegas, Con and I will both be there. So hit us up in the DMs if you're around. Um, we'll have something. We'll have a live show probably the day of. But we'll have a podcast to give out our awards and preview the national championship. That'll come out either next Thursday or Friday. But before we get out of here, let's go three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. We'll do this quickly with all within just a, a sentence each since we covered all these games. Let's start with... Favorite bet of the 10 bowls that we covered. Uh, I'm going to stick with my gods. I'm going Cincinnati. Uh, plus 13 and a half. Wait for the 14 to pop again. Uh, I think this Alabama team's been Jekyll and Hyde all year long. I make this line under 10. I, you know, the loss of Mechie is not being talked about enough. And this is the best secondary in the nation. I think Alabama will come out. I have a game plan to run it a lot. But Cincinnati's run deep. While well, you know, Alabama should get a push here has been very respectable all year. And I think that Desmond Ritter, an NFL caliber quarterback, can hit enough plays to keep Cincy in this game, even give them a shot to win it. I think Cincinnati's not getting enough respect here. Give me the two touchdowns. How about you, favorite bet?
1: Yeah, I think favorite from a side bet perspective, just forget about the points. Give me Utah first half money line. This is the team that's more motivated. Cam Rising has been one of the best quarterbacks over the last half of the season since he took over for Charlie Brewer. Uh, His Ohio State team that is uninterested in playing in the Rose Bowl with a huge number of opt-outs, including some of their best skill positions on the offensive side of the ball. I think it's going to take a half before C.J. Stroud, Travion Henderson, some of the skill positions that are still around to kind of pick up who their new offensive line is, pick up who their new teammates are. And even on defense too, uh, we have some jockeying around with positions within the defense. So I think it's going to take a half and if Ohio state wants to be there, they'll show it in the second half, but they won't show it in the first half. So I'll take Utah plus plus one forty-five money line uh, for the first half. I'll take it.
0: All right. Second out favorite total of the 10 games. Uh, I going to go with the game we just talked about, and that's the LSU Kansas state under Kansas state super slow wants to run the ball. I also expect LSU, who's slow, to run the ball here. He said, the don't have a quarterback, and they're missing wide receivers. And um, I-, I don't expect Nussmeier to get his waiver. You know, I think Kansas State wins this game something like, we'll call it mm, 27-17, maybe the under 48.
1: I'm going to go team total Wake Forest over 37. I-, I don't know how high you take this up to, but just consider the fact that Rutgers – has no clue who's taking the trip down there to play Wake Forest in this makeshift bowl. But Rutgers is also dead last in the nation against pass explosiveness. That's a really bad combination to go up against Sam Hartman and a Deacon's team that is just waiting to pounce on anybody that shows up at the front door of this bowl game. Uh, this is the best defense Wake Forest could have asked for to go against to get points up on the board. Uh, they're going to move extremely fast. I expect them to score on every drive.
0: Give me a Wake Forest
1: team total over. All
0: right, if you're looking for a money line Underdog Parlay, I would go Utah, and Oklahoma State. Third down. We'll close things out here with the college football playoff predictions. I guess I have to go out on the the extremely, extremely lonely limb, and I'm gonna say Georgia plays Cincinnati next week. I cannot wait to get all kinds of shit for this one. Nine five five bad beat. I'll be hearing from all you Alabama fans. Maybe with all the opt outs and everyone coming back. The gap isn't that big. I don't know.
1: CC, yeah. Georgia. It's not looking good for tomorrow's South Carolina uh, <laughs> against North Carolina or Tennessee. All right. So, yeah, the SEC could be in some trouble here. Hopefully, Arkansas, Alabama, and Georgia
0: can save. Yeah, hopefully, Tennessee. My minus three holds up. I don't know.
1: I'm going to say that uh, Cincinnati covers the game. That's going to make the point spread Georgia minus two. And you and I will be landing in Las Vegas. And I'm going to go on a shopping trip and probably be looking for – the cheapest Georgia money line that someone will let me get a few dimes down on.
0: Yep. I will be with you. So Georgia, Alabama. Wow. So exciting. So different college football, Georgia, <laughs> Alabama and the national title. All right. Thanks everyone for listening. This isn't goodbye. It's to see you later. Cause we'll be back next week. Appreciate all your support. Make sure you subscribe on subscribe, subscribe, leave a review. I'll do some last. Maybe I'll do some final giveaways next week. Really do help us out. i five bad beat. If you want to call in maybe we'll do some voicemails next week after this weekend and uh i could hear from all the sec and Alabama fans but happy new year to everyone have a profitable weekend thanks as always for listening thanks to colin as always for joining me appreciate your support let's have a great weekend and then an even better 2022 we'll catch y'all later cheers peace out